Welcome to another episode of the Zach Kylie Show. Today, I have the honor of being with my dad yet again, thankfully, and he's going to talk to us about alternative careers in medicine because a lot of people, they go through med school and maybe they don't want to go the normal clinical path. So a quick bio on my dad. My dad was born and raised in London where he went to medical school and became a psychiatrist. He then joined the pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline in developing new antidepressant drugs, famously some of the SSRIs we are all, of course, aware of today. Uh, This job took him to the U.S. where he started our family with my mom, uh, and my dad was responsible for running hundreds of clinical trials, directed R&D for various pharmaceutical companies, and personally led the development and approval of 14 new therapies such as Lexapro, Paxil, and Namenda, and these have had fantastic impacts on patient lives. He's currently working in healthcare, investing with new startup drug and device companies. And today we'll be discussing, as I said, alternative careers in medicine, specifically because my dad practiced medicine for two years, psychiatry specifically, and then left. So let's start off off with uh, why did you go into medicine in the first place? Um, So my parents said, if you're a doctor, you'll always have a job. Um, it was sort of pragmatic decision, I guess. Um, I was at school. I was doing in the, in the UK. And so we did uh, our exams there was sort of in the UK that the system is that you take 10 uh, at the time, you take a bunch of exams across all subjects when you're 16. They're called O level, ordinary levels. Mm-hmm. Sort of you've heard about these on yes. Harry Potter. Owls. Right? Yeah, owls. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> they called something else nowadays, uh, and then when you then you specialize, as it were, you pick three subjects, four subjects, and you do them at A level. Um, so I picked biology, um, chemistry, and maths uh, for my A level subjects. Um, and given I was sort of a science track, I guess you'd call it, as hopeless as at languages and arts, um, that. The people who were reasonably good um, got to sort of go for what they wanted to go, and 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 medicine seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, I was I was in the science track, and if you can get into med school, the general feeling was you go to med school. So it's interesting because I think this is sometimes what a lot of people do is it was just kind of there was no master plan to be a psychiatrist or master plan to be a surgeon or anything like that. It was just. You know, med school seems like a good thing to do, so might might as well do it. Yeah, it was, a, yeah. It was sort of it. It sound you know, it sounded like fun. Yeah, yeah. There was no one in my family was a doctor at the time. Uh-huh. No, I mean maybe someone in my extended family, but you know, um, so it seemed like something I might like to do and I yeah. might be good at. So I went to med school. Were you good at it? Was I good at what? Med uh, school. Medicine. I was reasonably good at med school. Yeah. I was reasonably competent, I think, at medicine. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I could do it. I, I was hopeless with my hands, oddly yeah. enough. I, I hated doing any form of procedure. I, I, you know, I hated anatomy. Yeah. Hopeless at it. Um, good at biochemistry, good yeah. at physiology. In, that's in pre, pre, you know, the first before two years. Before you're in the clinic. Before yeah. you're in the clinic. In the clinic, I liked the thinking bits. I didn't like the doing bits. I wasn't very good at sort of cutting, stitching. I avoided anything surgical. Um, you know, I just, I'm, I don't, I can't make things with my hands. And it seems like the perfect profession to do nothing with your hands is psychiatry. <laughs> so it seems, yeah. yeah. It wasn't actually the idea when I first got yeah. into psychiatry. Okay. So, but. What was the idea when you first went into psychiatry? So, 
so when you finished med school uh, in the UK at the time, uh, you had to pick where you wanted to go. So I, I um, firstly, you do house jobs. That's a year. You do six months surgery. Uh, and then you do six months. And you're practicing as a doctor at this You're practicing point. as a doctor. You're really the lowest of the low. Yeah, like an intern. Uh, an intern, basically. Yeah, the lowest of the low. Um, so I was. Doing, I did six months uh, surgery at a hospital called Stoke Mandeville Hospital. And then I came back to my teaching hospital in London and did six months, uh, three months medicine, adult medicine, and three months pediatrics, interestingly. Um, so you, you have to do your first year. Um, and then you get, that. that's house officer. And then you become a senior house officer. Um, so I spent six months in uh, what we would call emer- accident emergency in the U.S. The emergency room. Emergency room, uh, which I, I thought was great because, uh, you know, one of the reasons I want I want to go into medicine, I guess, was uh, back in the day, was I want to know if there was if I came across a crash or something. You know, uh, when could I was I driving, could I do something? Yeah. Could I? I didn't want to be hopeless and helpless. So, and 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 you know, doing six months in in the emergency room, and at some point you were the only physician running the emergency room as an SHO. Um, it was sort of it showed that you sort of you could do it. Mm-hmm. It, it was you, it was an achievement mm-hmm. to, to be to be that person running the emergency room. I mean, not the real complicated stuff, yeah. but, you know, dealing with things, triaging, knowing when to call stabilizing. the... Uh, stabilizing. knowing when to call the other services, as you would call it, and we'd call it the other specialties, but... And when does psychiatry come in? So, so where does psychiatry... So, so when you've done that, you have to decide what you want to do when you grow up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do your house of... And at some point, you have to decide. And I, I thought I wanted to be primary care. Right? Yeah, but I couldn't. I didn't get into a. There were at the time primary care was um, maybe still is, but it was it was reasonably tough to get into when I left med school back in eighty three, uh, eighty four, eighty five, I guess. Um, so I thought, well, you had to do sort of three years training until you uh, took your, your speciality exams in, in in primary care, and um, and that could comprise sort of six different specialties: psychiatry, general medicine, you know, peds. I don't know. Uh, and, and you added them all together and you became a, you know, you'd sort of, and you could go on a, a, there were structured ways to do this where you could go for three years to a sort of, to, to learn, to, to get your qualification as a primary care physician. Yeah. Um, and, and then you could do it yourself. And so I, because I couldn't, didn't actually get into one of these, co- oh, these wow. sort of structured yeah. courses. I thought, oh, I'll go do myself. Yeah. Um, I also didn't want to leave London. Yeah. So so I looked around and, and found, I found a place to go and do psychiatry, which yeah. was in London, a hospital called Northwick Park Hospital. And um, I went there um, and they were looking for, at the time it was a senior house officer. The first year senior house officer. So I, I decided to do six months psychiatry and six months became a year. And then a year became three years, and I got my what we would call my membership, Royal College, a member of the Royal College of Psychiatry. I took my exams. I became a psychiatrist, uh, like a board-certified wow. psychiatrist, um, because I was lucky. I I happened to land with a group of people who, without doubt, were the preeminent group in the UK at the time in the area of psychotic illness and schizophrenia. So, and and they were. Brilliant, brilliant people, and and they were remarkable teachers and incredible doctors. So it was absolutely. I didn't know anything about it. I happened to land there, and it was incredibly fortuitous. Uh, you know, one of my 
bosses became the president of the Royal College of Psychiatrists. They were they were incredibly smart, incredibly um, dedicated mm-hmm. psychiatrists, and they were very biological. So it was not sort of psychoanalyst. We frightened out the psychoanalysts. We did they 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 couldn't stand it. You know because it was. We felt it was all nonsense, which I think most people feel nowadays. A lot of psychoanalysis is nonsense babble. But, um, but you know, this was biological, empirically based. They did a lot of the formative work in schizophrenia. That You know, so I was just very fortunate. I really got a phenomenally solid grounding. We saw, you know, it was like a tertiary center for, for, for schizophrenia, basically. So you did five Years of clinical medicine? Yes, then? five years. Five years, wow. I qualified, well, six really. I qualified in 83. Yeah. And I left, I joined the industry in 89. So you six did, years. You did a good amount of, a good yes. amount of clinical yeah. medicine. So why did you leave psychiatry? Well, I'd wanted to. Yeah. I'd wanted When did you know when you wanted to leave psychiatry? Problem. <sighs> It wasn't psychiatry I left. I actually liked psychiatry. Clinical medicine. Clinical medicine. I, I'd say I left clinical medicine, not yeah. psychiatry. I, I wouldn't if I'd have done any yeah. other form. I would have practicing left it psych. Yeah. I think I was looking to leave after about three years or five, four years, I guess. Um, I just started. I'd sort of done a year in psychiatry. Yeah. And I thought, you know, uh, it's it's okay, but it's not where I want to spend my life. I don't want to spend my life in clinical medicine. Um, and I started to look at the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, you know, it's, it sounds dreadful, but medicine is for very care, is often for very caring people, right? Yes. I mean, and, and for me, I felt while, you know, it was, it was intellectually stimulating looking after patients and certainly working with the people I was working yeah. with. Um, the sort of, I guess the caring aspect of it, while it was great, you know, mm-hmm. some people are built to care. Yeah. And other, you know, and it, for me it was, um, it, it just, it wasn't what I could spend my entire life yeah. doing, you know. Yeah. It I just, it, it, I wanted something I felt more intellectually challenging. Not that it's, and I don't, I don't yeah. mean to minimize medicine in any of these comments, right? I just, for me, it wasn't the right mix. Yeah. I couldn't see myself, you know, doing it. I, I think... At the time, my boss, who was one of my mentors, who I still speak to, a fabulous person, um, he said, look, if, if when you, there's sort of, as you advance in medicine, or someone told me, you know, there's, you, can either, you can do one or three, you can, you can run a hospital, right? Um, you can dedicate purely to clinical medicine, um, which is fabulous, of course. Um, you can run a hospital, or you can go into research, or you can go to private sort of private medicine. But private medicine is another form of looking after patients. Um, And I was okay at it. I was reasonable at it, but I didn't didn't get the same sort of, uh, I didn't get the same... Excitement? Excitement from it, I guess, from that. So I I sort of looked around, I thought, well, what, what can I do? You know, part of my philosophy, and probably get onto that, is, is you don't start again, right? It, it's the reality is you use what you've got to propel you forward. Um, I mean, I, I, so what can I do? I've got medicine, right? I've got medicine. I've got psychiatry. Um, what can I do to? Pro- what can I do that uses what my skills, my learnings, my experience to take me somewhere else? And and, and pharmaceuticals was one obvious choice. 
Yeah. Um, so I'd actually looked into it about two years before I before I joined uh, I enjoyed Smith Klein Beecham at the time. Yeah. I'd gone to see someone oddly enough at Glaxo about a job. Yeah. And his advice, which was great advice for me at the time, was why don't you go back? You're halfway through your psychiatric training. Train as a psychiatrist, and when you've got your membership, your boards. Then join the industry. Then you're coming in with a certain degree of expertise, which will be valuable to you um, in the industry. In fact, it was incredibly valuable to me, oddly enough, as luck turned out. And, and once again, it's about being in the right place at the right time. But, but fundamentally, the psychiatric component of my training was hugely beneficial to me. So you were maybe 18 months away from completing uh, your psychiatric boards, I guess, when when this decision, when you had this conversation with the guy from yeah, GSK? Yeah, about that, about okay. that, yeah. Because that's a tough, because you're, because it's still another 18 months, right? But, yeah, but the, with a lot of work. But the, can you just tell me a little bit more about the decision to continue the 18 months? Was it solely because this guy said, you know, it's going to be worth it in the 18 months for your future career, or was it just... You know, I, I think had he said, there's a job for you here, yeah. come take it, yeah. I would have taken the job. Got it, okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I don't think he had a job for me at the time. I see, okay. So, you know, I applied for a certain job, and I, I saw him, and I think he probably had better candidates for the job yeah. that he was offering. Um, what was the job? I can't even recall yeah. now. You know, I don't think it was anything psychi psychiatric per se. I don't think Glaxo, as it were at the time, had a specific psychiatric drug in development. Not that I can recall, though. Got it. And then I think we touched on this a little bit. What were the... Were there certain aspects of clinical medicine which you didn't really like? I think you said it before, but I think what I'm trying to say is I think a lot of people, sometimes people might find themselves in your shoes. Yeah. And it's a crazy, it seems like a crazy decision right. to make, right? How do you know, you'll never know if you made the right decision or the wrong decision, but how do you know if maybe you should lean more towards one decision for the other? Do you remember any of the thoughts that went through your head or anything like that? Well, one, I know I made the right decision. Yeah, okay, so you made the right decision, <laughs> got it. You know, my mother yeah. was deeply disappointed that yeah. I'd left medicine when I left medicine. And three weeks later, she said to me, wow, that was clearly a Excellent decision. Three weeks. Three later. weeks. I wow. can remember that. She said, you seem incredibly sort of excited, engaged, whatever. So, so you know. Um, so, but but I, I guess, repeat the question. So, I, I, I'm sorry. Were there I, certain aspects of clinical medicine that you just didn't like? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it was, re I found it slightly repetitious. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm... Once again, in, in medicine, it, you tend to subspecialize and subspecialize and subspecialize, right? You tend to get very good at doing yeah. something. But it seemed repetitious. It, you know, I'm sure it's not, and I didn't pursue it, right? And I loved what I was doing with... I was very fortunate. It was yeah. an incredibly stimulating academic intellectual environment that, where I was working. But I, I'm not sure how that goes for 20, 30 years. I mean, if you... you it seemed that it, I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be going to clinic on Tuesday and Thursday. I'd be doing rounds on Monday and Wednesday. You know, I'd be writing letters after the fact, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd see the same conditions again and again. You know, so I'm, 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 I'm you know, and, and clearly that's not what medicine is. Medicine's about caring for patients, looking after them holistically, dealing with them. It just, and that's hugely beneficial to patients and I'm sure for the right people it you know for, for, for doctors there's in, in, immeasurable 
value to themselves in all sorts of ways um, to be gained from that as a life. I want to focus on the transition a little bit more because I think it's, it's, again, it seems like a crazy thing leaving medicine to go into right. industry. Was there a gut feeling that slowly built? How did you have the thought when you first went into psychiatry? I'm just wondering the timeline of when you thought clinical medicine isn't for me and then reaching out to someone at GlaxoSmithKline. And then obviously we know at the end of the three years is when you joined. Uh, but I'm wondering when it became from, oh, this is a thought of maybe I don't want to do this to, I'm going to start looking yeah. at jobs. So I, I, the, other th the other part of this, right? Yeah. My friends weren't doctors. Yeah. My friends were in advertising. My, you know, my close friend, advertising or uh, the whatever, you know, Texas Instruments. My first cousin was in Texas Instruments. He went into, he went into sort of um, finance, um, you know, and I had accountants as friends and lawyers as, as friends. And what seemed different about their jobs was they were interacting in a highly competitive sort of um, environment, dynamic. dynamic environment. And while medicine is that, it was a different sort of environment. It's sort of enclosed in the hospital network and you're, you know, and, and, um, and it was challenging in a different way. But I, I felt that, that this sort of, the environments they work on appealed to me, to be honest, sort of to be out there, um, sort of competing and, 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 and working in a, in a corporate environment, it sort of appealed to me. Yeah. And do you remember when you said, did you tell anyone, you know, listen, I'm, or did you just, just go find recruiters or did you just, e yeah, I guess you, there's no, did you email, did you email back then or no? We didn't, there was no, no email. There was no email. Not I don't, back then, no. no. <laughs> Would you call on the phone and say? Actually, I must have called, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah, I can't remember how it came about. I think I had a, there was a recruiter or, okay. you know, you spoke to someone who knew someone or something like that. But um, yeah, I ended up going for an interview at, at Smith Klein Beecham. Um, and they liked me and, and I took the job. And, Is the and, only place you looked at? Um, yeah, it was the first place I'd looked at. Yeah. Well, after Glaxo back yeah. in the day. So, yeah, but it was sort of, I know I, knew I didn't want to be in medicine, basically. Yeah. And I knew I wanted to get out. And I knew I wanted to be, I, I guess, and I, I'm, tr I'm trying to be careful here not to be sort of negative about medicine because I'm not negative about medicine. But yeah. for me, it was about being out in the real world. Yeah. There's something about medicine that's, that's sort of not the real world. I mean, it is the, it's a different It's like a world. microcosm. It's a microcosm, right? Yeah. You're in a big hospital environment. You're dealing with people who are unwell. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not that sort of, I don't know, combative, challenging. I know what you mean. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It, it's people looking to you to help them a lot. And, and that wasn't, well, it was nice. It wasn't. The answers wasn't are defined, usually. Usually there is a right answer yes. that you can, yeah. Yeah. What was this first job? Like, do you remember the title? Do you remember what it was? I was a medical advisor. Okay. What is that? Um, it was just, it's a title. It's the lowest title you go in as a, as a, as a doctor in the industry <laughs> in the UK at the time. Got it. So I worked for SmithKline Beecham locally in the, in the UK. Uh -huh. So it's, it was a, it was a, even then, in, well, it was SmithKline French when I joined, but it quickly became SmithKline Beecham. There was a merger of SmithKline French and Beecham that came together. Um, and um, the, you know, th this was uh, this was a local branch essentially of a global corporate global corporation, and we didn't get very much involved in the sort of the global piece of it. Um, and then when I moved to the states with them, I became much more involved in the global piece because the U.S. was sort of part of the global piece 
complex mm. sort of structure. And what are you doing? Are they saying, here's a, dr a drug idea we want you to so look when at? So when I first joined, I was doing, uh, I was working on a, on a drug called Tagamet. Okay, yeah. Um, or a line extension of Tagamet. Zantac, there was something. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, Zantac was odd story, but Tagamet. Oddly enough, Tagamet was the was the first billion dollar drug. Wow! It was Smith Klein Beecham's, and about three months later, Glaxo came out with Zantac, mm -hmm. which beat Zantac and became the second billion dollar drug, as far as I know. Uh -huh. uh, and then the companies merged. So, but but at the time, you know, there was massive rivalry. And by work on, sorry to back up. By yeah. work on, what do you mean? Are you saying? Are you looking at these drugs going through trials? Are you looking at evidence? Are you looking at sales of these drugs? Sales, at that time. Yeah, got it. Tagamet, I think, was approved by the English authorities around yeah. the mid-80s, maybe 86. It was a huge drug at the time. I mean, you know, you, let's if we go back. People were actually having operations for stomach ulcers. I had a friend who had an operation for a stomach ulcer. There was really, you know, this was before the proton, the, the PPIs, PPIs yeah. the omeprazoles, right? You know, so it was a interest, fascinating time for the industry. Um, this, you just got your first billion-dollar drug. These H two blockers, uh, you know, and uh, they did. They were remarkable for the in their time. Yeah. They literally, I don't know the numbers, but massively ninety percent reduction in need for surgery. Yeah. Right. So, you know, and then the proton pumps were another step up. Yeah. Right. Uh, just. Amazing breakthroughs in 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 GI in the GI space. Um, so I was doing that, and this was some silly line extension. And then, at what point did they say go to America? I asked to go to America. You asked to go to America. Yeah. Why did you ask to go to America? I always wanted to go to America. Really? <laughs> yeah. I first went to America in 1980. Uh huh. Um, and was blown away by it. And then I went in 81. And and it was it was odd. Everything was bigger here. And the food, they didn't have food courts in the UK in, in 80 and Food 81. courts. Yeah, no, seriously. Food courts were unbelievable. And Disney World was unbelievable. I mean, just this, you know, it was, it was very different back then. Everything didn't exist everywhere, yeah. right? So a food court in America was like nothing you had seen before in the UK. I mean, they're all over the place now, food courts. But then it was like you, and, and you know, you're a 20-year-old and you're wandering around and you can eat all these different foods, Chinese food, pizza, you know, it was just amazing. And the quantities, and, and it was just... It was wild, and you go, wow, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this before, right? And this was England in the 80s, and we were infamous for our food, of course. Yeah. The UK in the, in the 70s and 80s were infamous. And, and it was just the, the, the attitude of Americans was just, just can do. It was incredible. You know, just, it just, just seemed different. Everyone, England seemed sort of, I mean, yeah, yeah. People, you know, um, people say America's tacky, and it's sort of, uh, it's sort of, and everyone's superficial. And but you, I didn't think that. I thought it was great, just big. Yeah. You know, the frightening was because people had guns. Yeah. You know, and the police had guns at least. You know, because ours don't, didn't. I mean, they still don't, but I'm not there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so, but it was like, wow, this is this is you know this is wild, and and you know, and I. I I think at some point, a bit later on, uh, you know, because that was I was twenty then. Yeah. And I didn't move till I was uh, ninety-two. Yeah. Um, but at some point, going back and forth, and and it just the whole 
scale of it blew, was, was mind-blowing. Right. Just what you could get here and do here and everything was bigger here. Yeah. I mean, I remember sort of walking around furniture shops because I had an apartment yeah. in the UK, right? And, and, but I looked at some of these furniture shops and the furniture was amazing. <laughs> it was just big. And I thought, wow, I, to be able to buy this furniture and to put it into your apartment. Okay. <laughs> Let's focus up here. That's the, I mean, that, I, I, I too love America. Right. But that sounds amazing. But so so how do you go to research and development? Were you always in research and development? Are you always looking at clinical trials? Because I know you built your career on managing and running clinical trials, right. right? How do you go from more sales, right, which you said you were doing at Tag Event, to research and development? Well, so I wasn't sales. I've never okay. been commercial. I don't Got do it. marketing and sales. I work with a lot of Salesman. marketing and salespeople. Got it. Right? Um, but the job of... When, when, what I'm talking about is being on the... Com is supporting the commercial organization. Yeah, That's yeah. all about educating doctors about the, but the, about the features and benefits of drugs. You know, it's teaching Salesforce how the drugs work so they can communicate to doctors. Teaching the Salesforce, you know, how, what, what the evidence is from clinical studies and how to use the drugs and what the basis is for what clinical trials have been conducted to show how they work and to show how they can benefit their patients. So it's about, it's about communicating the science, the, the clinical side of things and, and you know, the, the, the differences of, of various it. drugs, etc. and the safety aspects of them too. How do you go from that to, to, to clinical trials and designing clinical trials? Well, you, you, so... So what we used to do at that point was sort of what they used to call phase four clinical study, yeah. post-marketing studies, yep. right? So once they're out in the... So, um, but when you go into drug development, you've, we've spoken about this before, phase one, two, and three, yeah. particularly phase three, those are the big clinical trials. Those are the big studies that you have to, that you undertake. Um, so um, I think that's a skill set. You learn that. You learn that. You learn how to design a clinical trial, a well-controlled clinical study. Um, now a lot of that is set out for you. There's, you know, it's you're not you're not thinking this up from the yeah. from out of your head. I'm just wondering, you individually, as a part as a part of this company, how do you go from how do they say, okay, Ivan, you're running, you know, speaking to doctors and educating them about these new drugs, to saying, okay, Ivan, we want you to design the next clinical trial for Paxil or something like that, right? How does that happen to you individually? So, so one of the very first studies I think I designed was a study for the use of peroxetine, Paxil, yeah. in obsessive-compulsive disorder. I see. Right? But I'm not, I'm not creating that construct from the, from the ground up. There are other drugs had been approved by FDA, by the European regulators, for the treatment of obsessive-compulsive disorder. Yeah. So I follow the blueprint. You know, you have to use, I think that there's, uh, I forget the name of the scale. There's a specific scale that measures the symptoms of, the, of OCD. I'm just wondering within the company, sorry to interrupt you again. Yeah, no, no, Within not the company, does someone come to you and say, Ivan, we want you to design this trial? Is it when they merge, they said, you know what, Ivan, you're going to run, do you have a new position? Do you have a new title? I'm just wondering if someone joins a pharmaceutical company, right, and they're told, we're going to meet, you're going to be the doctor that's communicating to other doctors on how to sell drugs. How do you make the transition? You personally, how does the company say, Ivan, you are now the person that's responsible for designing these drugs? Do you ask, you want to, like, I want to design these these trials. Does someone say, we need a psychiatrist who knows about the stuff? So they tell you, we're changing you from doing this to the, I'm just wondering the logistics of well, how, in my, within so the company. I, so 
hundred different ways. Got it. I can't speak to all of it. You can ask for it. You can take a new job. You can say, look, I don't want to be in phase three before anymore. Yeah. If that's what you were, I want to move into the sort of the, the sort of the central area and, yeah. and help design the studies to go for regulatory approval. In my particular case, in the UK, we were we launched. We spent two years launching Paxil. Right um, when I went to America, uh, I moved into this more central unit, and we were trying to get. Paxil approved for a bunch of indication, panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, eventually social phobia, which we was which was a first. We were the first drug for that. So that was a there we had to create a whole new path. Um, but but you know I that that was my job. I took over that mm -hmm. that whole team Got it. for Paxil. Got so it. I had to design these studies. I wasn't creating the construct of designing this, but I was taking, I had to pull a team together, oversee that team. We had to write a protocol. You know, the protocol had to, dis, as protocols do, it tells you how to run the study. It tells sort of patients that are going to be in the study. It tells you the type of tools you're going to use to measure improvement in those patients over right. the course of that study and how you're going to monitor safety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, and, and, and we had to, and, and then there's the whole other piece of that, which is not just the design. There's a whole operational part two, which is the people who actually go out to the, 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 the centers where the patients are, are studied as part of the clinic, you know, in any yeah. hospitals yep. and specific centers around the country. Wow. So that's what you do. And it's, and it's really complicated and it takes a, lot of, a large amount of time and it takes a very large team to do it. So, you know, that's what I moved into. But that for me was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, to me, that was hugely stimulating you were dealing with the regulators so so that that's when it really got fun it, it really became more fun i see one because you were doing you were really breaking new ground right you were designing trials which meant you had to understand the disease state and this and and, and 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 but what i loved perhaps more than anything else was the statistical component of design you know i really it, it was fun you know how, what's what about the power of the study you know what's the alpha what's the beta how do you design a trial to you know what's the the effect size you're going to see in a study and how do you make sure the study is large enough to show that effect size and you know if an effect size is too small then it's meaningless and why run the study in the, a lot of sort of inside baseball yeah sort of stuff but but it was it was great fun it was sort of geeky uh, the, the math was yeah. geeky, if you like. No, it's interesting. It sounds like you liked pharmaceutical companies. So my my question was going to be, why pharmaceutical companies? And did you ever think of switching out of it? Or you just knew kind of when you were doing these, designing these trials in the very beginning, when you transitioned from kind of the doctor-to-doctor -doctor liaison kind of thing, did it? was there a click? Was it like, this is what I want to do. I want to get much better at this. This is going to be my life. Or was it? did you just kind of fall into it, I guess? It was it was sort of it was a wild ride for a start, yeah. right? You know, I joined the industry. I was working on sort of Tagamet way yeah. after its heyday, and suddenly these SSRIs came along, and they were like, "This was the big thing, right?" And all of a sudden, I mean, this was massive, huge back in in the early nineties, you know, and and everyone wanted to know about them. And and you got to interact with all the preeminent psych with mo many many of the preeminent psychiatrists of the day. I mean, me as a lowly sort of registrar, they wouldn't give you the time of day. But when you were running these clinical studies, when you were interacting with them, when you were sort of bringing these new drugs through to patients, you got you got to meet with all the biggest names in psychiatry of the day, and it was great. It was it was it was terrific fun. 
you know, and, and, and they were learned and they were interesting and you learned just so much and, and, you, and, and things were changing all the time. So it was, it was really great. It was, it's really good fun. And then just give me a kind of a short rundown of kind of the, the remainder of your career up until what you're doing now. So you just continue doing kind of similar pharmaceutical developing drugs, running clinical trials and things like that at various So I, I think I think at that time it was like a training ground. Got right? it, okay. You you put it, and I've always said this, right? Yeah. When you go to a great company, Smith, Klein, Beecham, great company, right? It really gives you a solid grounding. You learn from, as well as learning from all the sort of really big names in psychiatry, you also learn from people who had deep, deep experience in running clinical studies, interacting with the FDA and the European regulatory authorities in how it should be done right, in how to develop a drug effective, you know, how to demonstrate efficacy, how to, how to ensure the safety of a drug, how to do things right, how to how to file what we call an NDA, we've spoken about that, a new drug application, a massively complex 10-year process, right? You really got a phenomenal training in that. So that was really a, SmithKline Beecham was a training ground. And at the end of SmithKline Beecham, I wanted to, you know, I'd done it all. I'd written the documents, I'd designed the studies, I'd individually, personally done a lot of this stuff. And I thought I wanted to step you know, I, for me, then it was a question of moving up to a more senior position where I could oversee. And I also wanted to broaden out of just CNS, central nervous system drugs. I, I wanted to diversify. So I joined another company, Forest Labs, as their head of clinical. It was a small company in New York, uh, but it gave me the opportunity to run their whole clinical group. Um, and when I joined, it was about, the clinical group was about 40 people. Uh, and then we were very successful. We got a drug called Selexa approved, and we got a drug called Lexapro approved, and we got a drug called Namenda. We developed them, and you know, and I, and that was great. That we, we my team, out, we we sort of designed the programs, took them through the FDA, and and got the drugs approved, and they were incredibly successful and important drugs. Um, and the team, everything went up tenfold. So my team went from four to 400. The company grew enormously. You know, it was, it was a wildly exciting time. Um, and, and, and then I, uh, and then my boss left and I became the head of R and D there. So I had about 900 people, uh, reporting to me at the time. Um, so I was there for 10 years and then I came back to Pennsylvania and worked for a company called Endo Pharmaceuticals for six years also as chief scientific officer, running a t smaller team at that point. And then um, most recently I was on the West Coast before I joined my current company, uh, working four years at a company called Nectar Therapeutics. Yeah. That's a lot of people, 900 people. Yes, it was, it was, it was, well, we grew to that. We yeah. were much smaller yeah. earlier on, so. And there was no master plan at any point. It wasn't say, you know, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to switch to a company where I can lead these people. And you're like, I know I'm going to develop the next, the next major CNS drug. And then I'll step down to a smaller company. There was, there was nothing like that. I'm just wondering how you decide to make these transitions in your career. Do you look for a good boss? Do you look for a good company? Like I, I look, I think all sorts of reasons, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I left Smith Klein because because I didn't see a anywhere to go at Smith Klein at the time, right? Uh, I wanted a big, I wanted to, I wanted to do a more diverse role with a greater leadership responsibility. I did want leadership responsibilities. To me, that was exciting. Yeah. It, you know, there's all aspects to it, right? Mentoring, uh, bringing people along, getting more done things through other people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it was time. 
Um, and also, SmithKline is a it, it's a fabulous training ground, but it's a massive sort of archist. You can't really move the needle at a big company yeah. unless you're the CEO. And some might say even CEOs have trouble moving the needle at really big companies. You know, they're very static. So I moved to a smaller company, which became a bigger company, actually. As I said, uh, that, that, that grew quite, quite meaningfully. Um, and each time I think I stepped down to a smaller company where you could have more of, a, more of an impact. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, why do you move on, right? Sometimes it's just chemistry at the top doesn't, you know, it, it, you don't see eye to eye. And at senior levels, that happens a lot. Okay. You know, changing philosophies, you know, changing direction of the company. You know, it, it, it is what it is, basically, you, you know. And so leading, let's step back to the 900, leading 900 people. I can't even, I can't even picture really 900 people. Did anyone teach you how to manage other people? And did you take any, who was the biggest, who gave you the best piece of advice or best piece of, tactics on leadership and then we'll go into what you've learned as you go through it so people talk about management and they talk about leadership and i think they are different i do i mean they are different i mean it's, i'm not there's books written on this i'm not an expert on this but i do find it very interesting um management is is sort of it's really getting things done through they're both getting through, things through done through people right but Managing is is about clarity. It's about setting clear goals. It's about ensuring that the right people are in charge. Uh, it's managing resources, managing budgets, managing times, all that sort of stuff. It, it's right. It's somewhat. It's tangible, you know, and and for me, leadership is sort of is somewhat more mystical. I think. Um, uh, I think there was a commander and it was, you know, I think, it, I forget, it was a, 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 a US general, I forget which one it was, and it was sort of back sort of 60 years ago, so it was sort of not particularly gender correct, but his view was, get because he, you know, he talked about men, he said, getting the other, getting, what did he say? He said, getting the, the other fella to want to do what you need him to do. So leadership is about, uh, good leaders, in my view, have people wanting to do stuff that they need them to do. It's not about telling someone to do it. It's not about fear. It's about, look, Mr. Whatever or Mrs. Whatever said, we need to get this done. Therefore, we need to. Go, I need to do whatever I can to ensure that what he needs done or what she needs done gets done. And it's because I want to do that for that person. You need to, they ask to, it's not about being commanded to do something. It's about, uh, I'll do whatever that person wants. You know, it's, all, it's often referred to in military terms. If, you know, if someone says, we're going over that hill almost a certain death and the people go, that's okay. If you tell me to do it, I'm doing it. I'm there by your side, right? Bad leaders are the ones who get shot in the back by their troops as they go over that hill. They're the first people. Um, it's... It, and, and, and I think leadership, and I'll, I'm more about leadership than management, I guess I'm talking about. Leadership is more of a privilege. You have to see it as a privilege. It sort of, uh, it's, it sort of generally gets thrown on you with you're not expecting it sometimes. Uh, and, and, and you shouldn't, and, and bad leaders think they're, they're better or they're more important or they're, so I, I always think of leadership, my view on leadership is it's, it's a pyramid, right? And a bad leader thinks he, he or she sits on top of that pyramid. Everyone underneath them is supporting them. And a good leader, 
thinks of an inverse pyramid, and they're at the bottom of that pyramid. They're holding everyone up. They have to support everyone. They are there for the people. So that's how that's sort of conceptually, I think how I'd like to think I'm the like at the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that's leadership. Leadership, this sort of ephemeral sort of thing that some people have, and but I, I think they almost don't. They almost, they're almost reluctant. It's almost a reluctant. I think the most important thing about leadership is, um, sorry, go on about it, is it's, it's humility. It's yeah. a humble leader. Humility is the most, from my experience with, with having reported to leaders, humility is the most important thing. And when you lose it, when you start to think you're really important, then you should step away. How do you get people to want to jump over that hill into battle for you? Are there specific things or tactics or they have to believe what you, they have to believe that what they're doing is for the right reason. So they have to trust you to the extent you know if you're a leader and you go, you have to earn their trust. Uh, and I think if so, that's that's the thing. How do you get them to go over that hill? You say, guys, we're gals, we're going over this hill now. We have to go over this hill. And they don't say, you know, but why? Why? Why should we go over that hill? They, they say, look if. If um, X says we're going over the hill, we're going over the hill, man. Yeah, ladies. You know, yeah, saying, yeah, I know. It's fine. You can say that. It doesn't. It just next time say ladies. It's fine. Yeah. Um, we're going over the hill. Yeah. So, if you were advising someone who's taking on their first leadership role, yeah. who's about to lead five people, right, for the first time, what would you tell them? Or manage, manage and lead. I guess is what we're you're saying. Be humble. Yeah. Be humble. Be your part of them. Yeah. You know. I, I I was made a leader, but I you know without it you know it you know it just put it's sort of it, yeah. it put it gets put upon you right it and um and you shouldn't don't don't feel particularly proud I mean you know other people your mum can feel proud yeah dad yeah. can feel proud but you know but don't it's no great achievement just to be put in the lead spot you have to earn that. You have to earn that that lead spot. And it doesn't make you any better or any different. That's the other thing. Don't let it go to your head. It shouldn't. It's meaningless. It's really about, it's about the purpose, right? It's not about... The title. It's not about the title. It's not about, you know, there's rewards with it, right? You move up, you get more rewards. It's, you know, it's financially helpful. But actually, it's, it's really, it's really great. I mean, as a manager, now this is sort of where, so this is where the inter... In, 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 this is where they come together, right? When you hire someone great or you develop someone great and you see them go into a meeting and you see them perform brilliantly in front of your boss or the board or something like that, that's an amazing feeling. It's like your child doing well, right? If you get that feeling, then I think you're a reasonable leader it, because, you know, you are, you know it's a reflection on you. You want, the whole thing about, and the, I'm intermingling management leadership, but but I freak I think what you should try and do is almost make yourself uh what's the word expendable. Uh, you know, um uh, you want to hire everyone there so so you can focus on yeah. different stuff. Right? Give all the praise, take all the criticism kind of thing. Yeah. Bingo, that's another role, yeah. right? That's a good manager. You yeah. and you just take all the criticism and avoid all the praise, you know. That, that. but your people but the people working f with you. Your your reports, for lack of a better term, they know they know that yeah. you know, but you're not doing it, so they know that it's it's complicated. But it you should seem like you're one. You should never feel different. I think that, yeah. that's really important. Got it.
And and generally, because we're talking about different careers in medicine, people who, for some, say, for yeah. some reason, they go into pharmaceuticals or they go into some corporate world, a lot of people going through medical school, they have no job experience. They don't know what the corporate world's like. What advice would you have for someone who's never really had a, quote-unquote, real job that's just been in the hospital? Because it's very different, right, the hospital life than the corporate yes. world. You've said it to us yeah. multiple times now. How should someone, maybe specifically from the medical field, navigate the corporate world? So that's a really good question. I like that question because, you know, I've, I've obviously... Well, I'm obviously, but I've been in the in pharmaceuticals three years, which is a corporate job, right? Um, and it's very different from medicine. Medicine is trains you in a completely different way. When you're alone on the ward at night, it's down to you to make a split second decision. It's not like you have to canvas opinion and you have a meeting the next day and you work out three different options and you know you pick a course and if it doesn't work, you know you've got to make a decision there and then, right? I mean, you can call people in, but at the time, it's down fundamentally. If you're particularly if you're a doctor on you know an, an award or alone, you're going to make a decision. You're generally the lead of that particular team or that particular time group at that time, right? And it's not about consensus. And it's, you know, it, you have to do, you have to go with your gut, right? You don't have time to do a lot of stuff. At the, mm -hmm. Now, it, it's all about training, right? You're not just making stuff up. You've been there before and otherwise I wouldn't put you in that situation. Yeah. I, I think when you leave, and I, I say this, that many doctors leave medicine and I've seen the ones who go into pharmaceuticals. I mean, obviously they go elsewhere too. And a lot of them are very, very happy. Some aren't. Maybe 10% think it's the wrong decision to go back to medicine. But 90%, I would say, from my experience, maybe I'm just seeing the one, you know. Um, but what I would say is you leave your white coat at the door. If you come in to that corporate environment thinking you're special because you're a doctor, I think you won't do very well. I think you'll fail. It's a great skill set, and you've learned amazing things, and it's not, I'm not diminishing it in any way, shape, or form. But you have to take that and you have to adapt it into a completely different environment. And if being an MD is important to you, the title, the, the stature, uh, um, and once again, I'm not minimizing it, but if you want that to lead for you in the corporate world, it will only get you so far. You know, get you somewhere where you have to be an MD. Yeah. Then you're an MD in the corporate world. But if you want to move... Use your skills like an accountant can use its skill to become the chief financial officer or even the CEO of a company. You, an MD could be the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. They have been, right? But it's not about them continuing to be a doctor and becoming a doctor as the CEO of a company. They have to learn a whole new skill set. You have to... You're going in and you've got a very valuable set of skills and knowledge base at the same time. And they, they are, the company's attracted you for that. But you're just at the start of the learning curve. You're right on the bottom rung. You know, that's great. You didn't come in as an accountant. You came in as a doctor. But you're still in a big corporation. Yeah, it happens to be focused on healthcare. But doesn't mean that just because you're a doctor, they're going to treat you like you're high and mighty. Or they might, but then they'll put you in this place where you're a doctor in the company, and that's what you do. And you don't become part of the company and rise up the mm -hmm. company and play a broader and bigger role. And if that's what you want to do, then you have to sort of, Become a, yeah, you leave your white coat at the, at the door, right? That's, yeah. what, that's what you do. Got it. And, and I think that's true in other, in other disciplines too, right? I mean, if you want the medicine, if you want to be a doctor, doing doctoring in another, in a, but just not in hospital, but you want to work for a company as a doctor, then you can do that. 
but you that's not really leaving that's medicine. That's doing medicine yeah. in a different, slightly yeah. different form, right? Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's also you have to decide when you go into this other world what you want to do too. Do you want to be practicing as a doctor using clinical skills inside of this corporate world or do you want to enter the corporate world? Which Yes, is, that's a huge decision. Yeah. You've got to really decide. You've got to, what's the expression, to burn your bridge. To Burn uh, your bridge, yeah. You've got to burn, burn your bridge, your bridge yeah. right? You've got to say, I've left it. I've, I've left my white coat outside the door. It doesn't, I'm not going to wear that ever again. I'm just yeah. not going to wear a white coat again. Yeah. People aren't going to come to me and say, I've got this problem, can you help me with it? Yeah. Physic, you know, a, a, a medical problem. That you know, they're going to come to you and say, when you were when you're in medicine, you know, and you saw cardiovascular disease, what were the measures you used, and how could we put that into a? How could we do? How do you interpret that in a clinical trial environment? Yeah. Right? There may be bits of it, but they're not going to ask your opinion about. You know, I'm not feeling great today, or they might, but you know, you, that's going to become more and more removed. You're going to leave that. Do you regret at all losing your ability to prescribe? Because you can't prescribe no. medicine here. You don't regret it at all. It was funny at the time. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do it when I came to America, but now yeah. I've lost it in England too. Yeah, they took I it away. I have my license to... Practice I still medicine. have a license. I have a... I'm a member of the General Medical Council, yeah. but I but can't no, do it. nowhere near the clinical hours necessary. No, so. I, I yeah. can't prescribe or anything. Yeah. I used to be able to until yeah, about and you five don't, years. And you don't miss no. it at all. It's fine, but even... That was a funny thing, right? Yeah. Even after... I guess it was 25, 30 years. Suddenly someone said to me, well, you know, you just actually can't prescribe anymore. You can't go back to England. I could uh, originally, you know, up till about 2010, I guess, yeah. something like that. I could go back to the UK and if I needed a script for something, I could sort of write a yeah. script. I, it would be private. I'm not on the end, you know, but I could still do it. Now I could, they took that away and it was like, wow, that's funny. But then I thought, well, I hadn't written a script for, for at least 20 years. <laughs> it's just like. So it's not a big deal. No, but yeah. it, once again, it's, it's someone's cutting away that. It's yeah. it's burning another bridge. Yeah. So I guess now maybe we can we can step a little bit more away and just general, I guess, life advice and life changes. Because I think hopefully the helpful thing about this podcast is it's, you know, making non-classical decisions in medicine. Yeah. And these are tough decisions. So if I were to ask you, what do you think were, th were three, and they don't have to be the most impactful, but three impactful decisions that were good decisions that you've had in your life? And it doesn't have to be three. It could be one or two. But no, I've got three. I've probably got four or five, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, you mean meaningful? I, I, meaningful, so impactful. Fundamentally, fundamentally, I think risk. Don't... So, what sort of, so I think someone once said, I like this quote, it's like you, when you get to the end, you never regret the things you did, you regret the things you didn't do. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great tenet. So, so, so there were jumps, right? Leaving medicine. Because until then, I'd followed a track, right? Leaving medicine was undoubtedly one of the best things I ever did. Marrying my wife and coming to America. That was easy. Yeah. You know, three big things. And there are other things, right? It was leaving SmithKline was another one. Doing an MBA was another one, another departure, right? But, mm -hmm. um, but I think those, those big three ones, those were big three. Why do you think there were... We can go in order, but why do you think they were so impactful? So we've done leaving medicine to pharma. Right. Um, we don't have to talk about marrying. Right. I, but it is important, you know, marrying someone that you connect with and that's right. going to be your team and your partner kind of going forward. And, and it wasn't, I'm not going to go into it, but yeah. based on my background, it wasn't necessarily the easiest thing to do. Yeah. It was yeah. a jump. Yeah. Right? It, wasn't, it wasn't conforming to what was expected. Each time it wasn't conforming, yeah. right? And it's an, I, it is an important decision because you're spending... A lot, a lot of time with this person, yeah. right? So it's a, definitely an important decision to make. But number three, why moving to America? Why do you think that was so impactful? 
because you're moving continent because yeah. it, it's tough to do yeah. that, right? You're leaving your family, you're leaving everything you know, and you go somewhere else. You know, you get you, you're seeking your fortune elsewhere, right? I mean, for me, it was it was sort of a pragmatic. It was it was a good. If you want to be in pharmaceuticals, you do it in America, right? I mean, that's probably true of many many industries. It's certainly true of pharma. Got it. It's you know this is where yeah, this is where all the R and D is. This is where all the investment is. This is where most of the innovation comes from. The rest of the world follows the states in that regard. So why wouldn't you want to be in the center of everything? Did you consider any other careers? Like, would you? Did you look at? I don't even know how big medical device. Probably not medical devices. But did you think about any other careers other than pharmaceuticals when you were making that initial switch, or at any point in your career? It just seemed the logical one. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that obvious at the time. Yeah. Don't forget, most people didn't. Yeah. It, I just. It was like oh, I don't know. Could I have done something else? Could I have gone into insurance? Maybe, you know, I mean, but what else, right? It, this was the obvious one. It was, yeah. a, it was a burgeoning industry. It was the right time to go. And it was, it was intellectually stimulating. You know, it was, and I've spoken to a few people who seem very excited, happy, yeah. interested to be in the industry. Um, and, it, and, you know, looking back, it's just, it's remarkable because it's always changing. I mean, this is, you know, I think what you want is to grow and do new stuff all the time. And I'm constantly challenged with new stuff. I think that, you know, some of it's financial now, you know, trying to learn that. You know, it, it's, but I, I think you, you const, the, the opportunity to constantly learn and be challenged and do new stuff is, 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 to me, it's very appealing. I didn't want to fall into doing the same stuff for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I didn't want to become extremely good at something that I do a billion times. I see. I wanted to, you know, for me, what's interesting is to is to do different stuff, to learn. I mean, even now, I mean, and we're investing, but, you know, one day we're looking at uh, primary bilirubin cholangitis, cholangitis, yeah, you know, cholangitis, yeah. cholangitis, which, oddly enough, you, I didn't know it was called that. I thought yeah. it was PBC because I went to med school at the Royal Free. And that was the global center for P primary biliary cirrhosis at the time. Um, so that's new to me this week. Uh, you know, um, what else are we looking at? We're looking at um, prim primary arterial hypertension, uh, you know, all, all sorts of different disease states um, all the time and learning stuff, really trying to come up to speed with this. So it's great to be doing that, to be understanding clinical programs and regulatory pathways and the science and all this behind these new areas and investing in them at this point is great. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's it's all new stuff. So, so I th I think that's that's been terrific. That's been exciting. I'm not sure that answered your question. I went off. No, um, I don't even. It's fine. It's it's interesting because it's it's. But now, why did you transfer from pharmaceutical companies to, to VC? Was it because you were? Because it seems like you went from big companies and then got smaller and smaller and smaller. And now you're at the smallest yeah. company you've ever been at. Uh, because I met my, um, one of my partners, yeah. the founder of our uh, venture capital company. And um, at the time, I just left the job and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to be a CEO. Yeah, because that that's the next logical step. Well, it is, but but... I'd sort of worked for several CEOs and it didn't seem a particularly rewarding job to me. Got it. You know, so, uh, I mean, just hard. You've got, you know, I, I won't go into it, but it, to me it wasn't, it didn't, I don't think it, 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 
the area that you have to be really good at or the broad area you have to be good at is sort of, um, it's very diverse and it, it wasn't and not necessarily the most interesting areas for me. Yeah, got you it. Know? Um, so, uh, so I could have become another head of R&D or a chief scientific officer again. Yeah. But I'd done that sort of three times. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure. I, I, I really... No, I didn't want to be a CEO. It was something I wanted to do something different at that time. So this is this is sort of this is even more quick. It's much more quick moving. It's it's an opportunity to bring all what I to so the way we're structured, and we we're not going to go into it here, of course. But the way we're structured, my particular skill set set marries very well with my two partners' skill set because mm-hmm. we all had lots of ex- operation experience in different yeah. in different ways of doing pharmaceuticals. And you're, you're happy at this this new... Happiest I've been. Really? It's, it, yeah, it's, it's fun, wonderful. Yeah, you that's know. fantastic. Uh, and we're building a little... We're building a team. Yeah. And we've got some great people now on board. And uh, I think we're making really important investments which hopefully will, will grow as well as being incredibly valuable for patients and, and, and you know, um, will actually create wealth for people yeah. investing with us. Yeah. But looking back at your 18 or 20-year-old self, would there right. be anything you would tell 18-year-old Ivan or 20-year-old Ivan, you know, listen, think about this, do this, change this, or, or not? So, look, I, th- I think they're life lessons. I yeah. mean, I, I, you know, it worked out well, right? So, no regrets. Seriously, no, yeah. no regrets. It's, I just, you know, if I had to track a course, I think I'd been incredibly lucky. Um, getting on with it. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't believe in, so personally, I don't believe in taking a year out to find yourself. Got I think it. you can do that when yeah. you get to, when you're sort of older than yeah. me, uh, or, or, you know, and yeah. when you've been successful or whatever, and you've got the time and money to luxuriate yeah. in that. But fundamentally, there's no right way. Finding yourself, yeah. you know, there's nowhere to tell what the future holds in store. Yeah. And, you know, finding yourself is procrastinating. Basically. Yeah. I, I, so I'll be harsh. Yeah. I think that's procrastination. I think that's avoiding it. And taking time off for a year doesn't help you. In most, I guess, in many people's case, doesn't actually help them move forward. It just stops them having to make a decision. Okay. Make a decision. Yeah. So I think make a decision, move, keep moving. Yeah. The world is moving very fast. It's highly competitive. There's If you don't fill a, fill a vacuum, someone else will fill a vacuum and you'll get left behind. So so it's, I, I believe it's competitive and I'm competitive. I believe you should push from day one um, I think you make mistakes and it doesn't matter. And I know you're a big believer in that. Yeah. That you have to make mistakes. You push, you make a mistake, and you adjust course. I don't think you reverse course. I've, I've you know, I think if you think about it from a from a sort of from an angle standpoint, if you're going in that direction, you don't turn around and go the other direction. You use the momentum and you move 20 degrees off or 15 Never degrees off. Never 180. Never 90. You've yeah. lost momentum. You want to keep moving. You use what you've got to get you to the next step. Never reverse because that whatever you've got, medicine or finance, someone's interested you in that. They're not interested in you because they like you as a person. Well, they might be. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if they're in a business, they want to use what you've got to their yeah. to the benefit of their business, to the benefit of whatever they're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's sort of so. I would say push, be be aggressive. Be impatient. Be impatient. 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 Pa- take risk. Be impatient. Change course. Take and, and don't worry. Yeah. Keep moving. Yeah. If you were speaking to a if if you were speaking to a smart, driven high school student. Yes. 
what would you tell them? Say they're in their junior year of college, uh, their, their junior year of high school, senior year of high school. They're very smart. They're very driven. But they don't really know what they want to do. They don't know if they want to go to college or not go to college. They don't know if they want to study biomedical engineering or English. Um, once again, harsh, right? Yeah, be harsh. Don't follow your dreams. That's, that's poetic and yeah. sounds nice. Be pragmatic. If you're really smart, it depends on what you want. Okay, yeah. so, so, so. So if you want to have financial rewards, then structure your life to get financial rewards. Yeah. If you want to spend your life circling the earth and, you know, and, 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 and living on a boat or, you know, whatever, then be realistic. But don't expect that you follow your dreams and let's say, you want to get, you want to follow your dreams and you want to get rich, but those two don't coincide. Yeah. I mean, if you happen to be a genius mathematician, your dream is to be a hedge fund manager, then do it if you want also <laughs> interested in getting rich, right? So, so, but if you, you know, if you really want to, I'm trying to think of something, you know, uh, history of art, right? You know, I desperately want to travel, but I want to be very wealthy and, and sort of have a good corporate job. Well, maybe, History of art's not the best idea, particularly if you're really smart and you can also pursue finance or, or maths. You know, I, 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 I think if you can pursue a, a qualification that has a clear track to, to a job that's, you know, where there's going to be always a need for people with that skill set, and particularly if it's sort of, if it's pure mathematics, that's really hard. But if you're... In, if you're adept at, at mathematics, if you're really a great physicist or a mathematician, you know, you're going to get jobs in, in tech or whatever. But, but I think you should pursue it, even if it's not, it's not your romanticized view. But that's, that's me. I, I, I would say don't, you know, don't get caught up in your dreams. There's plenty of times to dream, you know, down the road. But do something pragmatic. Do you think there's certain bad advice that high school students get? Is that the bad advice? Follow your dreams? Are there any other pieces of bad advice? I'm not sure they. Eighteen year olds, nineteen year olds. I don't get? know. It's been it's been a while. You yeah. know, when I was at school, yeah, uh, we met sort of people who told us what they think we'd be good at. I can't remember what they thought I'd be good at. I don't know that medicine was necessarily yeah. top of the list. It might have been. I, I don't think it was. Um, you know, so they look at your. They do these profiles and they say, "Look, you should probably pursue this, that, or the other," which is you know, which is fine. I, but I think be realistic. You know, what do you want? What's the goal? Yeah. And it's not about... And I think the other thing is always think two, three moves ahead, right? This, it's not about where, you know, where I want to spend the next two years. It's what I want to do with, after those two yeah. years. Where do I want to get? Don't, don't think about the next thing. Don't think about enjoying the next thing. I mean, I get it. It's not Life's not a complete grind just to get to the end and then you look back and say, well, it was really crappy getting here, but I got to a good place. Mm. I mean, maybe that's good. Um, but I think you, I'm not saying don't do what you want to do, but take a... Be some, pragmatic. Because maybe pragmatic. that second, third step, if you don't think about it, won't be so great anyway. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And if you don't, and if you don't plan it out, who knows what that right. second or third place you know, could so, be or anything like that. So, so I, go ahead. No, I would say, one, don't just follow your dreams. Don't, yeah. you know, because that's nice, but really, you know, who's got a lot of time for that? Yeah. yeah. Two, if there's an, if you're really good at something that takes you to a really good job, I always pursue it. You don't have to do it down the road. Mm -hmm. But medicine was a bit like that for me, right? It's a, it was a, it was a challenge. I, I really liked the idea of doing medicine. I really was interested in the subject. 
yeah. academically, intellectually. I thought, you know, and it was a challenge. It was really hard. You mix with really smart people. That's the other thing, right? The journey, if the journey is important, people say the journey is important, and it is, you know, go to the best schools. Work, or, the, or not the best schools, but the, the schools that, are, that, that challenge you. Work alongside people, study with people who are, who are, who are going to push you maximally, right? Because that's, that's great. I think that's what you should do. Because one, it's, it's beneficial to you in the long run. And two, it's, it's beneficial along the way, I think. And I think it creates more options too. I yes. mean, there's people in high school that score better on their tests. You know, a lot of people say it's not about test scores, blah, 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 blah. But the increased optionality you have from exactly. a high SAT score or a high GPA is so much greater than someone with a low SAT score, someone who doesn't graduate high school or something like that. You, your options are much fewer than the options you have well, if look, you do well. I, to be blunt, I did an MBA, right? Yeah. It's, it was, it's, it's not about having an MBA. It's about where you go for that MBA. Where you go for that is almost more important than having the MBA, right? Yeah. If you, you go to the best school you can go to, right? So um, it's just like at college. Go to the best college. It says a lot about you. Yeah. It says someone's looked at you and selected you. Someone's done that process for you, right? Yeah. If you come out of Harvard or Yale, or yeah. you name it, right, or Oxford or Cambridge, they are, they've they've done a big selection process there. Yeah. You're going to get a good job because you went there. That, let's not fool around, right? It's it's real. Are there any degrees or letters on the end of your name that you think are wastes of time, like a master's degree or an MBA, which it sounds like you don't think is a waste of time, or a PhD, or do you think they're all worthwhile? <sighs> I, I think they're all. I mean, I think they're all worthwhile. Okay, I, I do. I, 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 you know, maybe there are some that are a waste of time. I mean, you know, the ones that you didn't really work for, you yeah. just got given. Okay, but but you know, I, clearly a master separates you from a, from a BSc or a BA, right? Do you think an MBA from a a lower tier school name is is worth it or no? It's interesting question. I, you know, once again, yeah, my view on an MBA is. Don't step out. If you're in the middle of your career, try and avoid yeah. stepping out of that career for two years to do it. Yeah. Try and do it as you're going along. Yeah. I wouldn't step out. So so it's what's the alternative, right? If you are, if you're in a job, a good reasonable job, and the company says, we'll back you, one, we'll back you. Two, you do it at the same time. We'll give you a weekend every three weeks to go do your MBA or whatever masters you do, or you do it at nighttime. That's what you should do. You shouldn't get off to do then the value is slightly more questionable. But if you can get the MA or the MBA or the whatever you're doing as you're moving along and you haven't really stepped off to get it, that's really valuable. And you saw more more opportunities created because you had the MBA? Huge, yeah. Re huge, like specifically higher uh, positions? Yeah, I think, you know, as a, as a, as a doctor, right? As, yeah. a, as someone who's trained in life sciences, I think for me... There were various reasons to do it, but for, I was in a I was in the corporate world, right? I yeah. was still doing science, but in the corporate world, and I wanted to evolve in the corporate world. I wanted to in understand about world. finance, yeah. and I wanted to understand about law, and I wanted to understand about management, and I wanted to understand about leadership, and so on and so forth, and operations management, and you know, uh, and linear programming and economics. It was fantastic. It was actually the most enjoyable education of all the things I've done in education, my MBA was by far the most enjoyable because it was different. I was yeah. learning all about it and it gave me huge respect. I loved accountancy and accounting. 
I mean, I, 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 you know, it was, it was, it's an amazing science. And what it gave me an appreciation for the MBA actually was that all of these areas, you know, I'm a science, I come from the discipline of science and medicine and, and, and you know, biology and whatever. And there was, I always thought, well, we're, you know, we're really, science is clever. It's constructed, it's based on sort of proof and, you know, evidence and, you know, and, and, and we classify animals based on whatever. Um, and medicines like that too. And, you know, um, but what you realize is that, and I didn't, and maybe more fool me, and maybe I wasn't well read enough, but when you look at law, it's built on founding principles and it builds up and it's structured. And double entry bookkeeping in accounting is fantastic. It came from the Greeks and it's wonderful. And it's an amazing thing that the Greeks, dis I think it was the Greeks discovered 2000, 3000, however long ago. And it's really smart. Uh, similarly, leadership, there are principles, there's, you know, these these areas, these specialities, these fields, you it gives you just a sort of basic but understanding. But what what the, the the sort of the origins of how they've all evolved, and I think that was that was fascinating mm. to me um, to, to see how these 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 disciplines sort of were, had had built up. In the pharmaceutical world, you've worked with a bunch of people. What are the characteristics of people that do well? in the pharmaceutical world? Or I guess maybe this is a more general question because the pharmaceutical world is like a corporate, just a corporation, right? But okay, so that's that's one of those questions, right? Yeah. There are two types, at least two types of people who do well in corporations. Yes. There are the people, well, there's lots of people, right? But, but unfortunately in corporations, because of the way... You know, because of the way all sorts of pyramids work. Large right? corporations, Large yeah. corporations. I mean, you can look at areas of the world at the moment and who are the, you know, not the very top person, but he's surrounded. I've yes. got somewhere in mind at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. He's, he's recording this in November 2nd, November 3rd, <laughs> 2022. He surrounded himself in a part of the world. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, anywhere local, but with people who will not question anything he does, who will nod their head. And that exists everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I think one of the weaknesses of corporate structures is is that sometimes people get to the top and they surround themselves by sort of titular people, people who nod their head and and don't challenge. And and that goes back to leadership. I think great leaders want to surround themselves by people who are going to challenge them, and 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 they they want them to be challenged. So I think you know that that's um, so I, I I guess those people do well. People who, who don't want to do anything but to support the boss do quite well in corporate environments. I've seen some really good ones in my own experience. People who, who know what the boss is thinking before the boss is thinking it and, 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 and sort of agree with him or her before they say mm -hmm. it. So okay. it's sort of, it's that, that, so there's that type of person who does well in corporate environments. Don't come to the table with anything particularly imaginative or anything particularly any new thoughts or genius ideas or you know but that's okay i mean um but i think that's why big corporations sometimes struggle struggle or they get fat dumb and happy or whatever they do it doesn't because it doesn't sound okay to me to be perfectly honest that that because it's not i mean you're not creating something new you're not going into it for the betterment of creating whatever your company is doing if you if your company creates soap or something for example you're not doing it to make the best soap in the world. You're just doing it to make the soap that your boss likes. You know what I mean? Yes, something like that. I, I, I you know, I think that's why for small companies because yeah. because you're much more accountable. 
okay. in a small company, you're more accountable. You know, there's risk, right? If someone can see that you're not doing anything, they'll get rid of you. Yeah. Whereas in a large company, you can pretty much survive. As long as you don't rock the boat, you can hover along for 30 yeah. years. 30 years. Yeah. Wow. So what, those, what was, who's the other type of person? Well, there's many types. I mean, there's, then there's the the driven, the, the really smart people will do yeah. well in most organizations, right? Really forward-thinking people. It depends, right? In R&D, you need innovative people. In in sales and commercial, you need imaginative people who who have a, 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 a who are able to persuade. But if you're a great salesman, you're going to be persuaded. So, so there's no clear. If you're a, if you're in finance, you have to have a great mathematical yeah. mind, right? Yeah. Or or uh, you know you know you can Got do it. complex structures. So I don't, and if you're a great lawyer. Once again, you know, so so you got you can bring your discipline to bear. And specifically in the pharmaceutical world, you've you've hired and fired a, a bunch of people, correct? Yes. So when looking to hire someone, what do you look for in a person? Well, there were four things, and I'm not going to remember them all. And two of them are innate. <laughs> uh, two of them are innate, and two of them are, are learnt on the job, right? So in in what I do, pharmaceutical yes. development, for example, I'll obviously. Really smart people, real smart people, right? That's innate. That's inherent innate. I also generally want people who can get on with other people. So those are the two inherent pieces, right? Do you think they're going to? There's good chemistry, and are they? Are they going to bring sort of significant intellect to the table? And then on the other side, you know, specific technical experience. In other words, if I'm developing a cardiovascular drug, I might want someone who's got deep knowledge in the cardiovascular medicine. And then the other specific skill is how much experience do they have in pharmaceuticals? You know, how much have they have they developed a drug before? Have they got it approved with the FDA? Do they know how to run a clinical trial? Do they so so there's the there's the Technical skill. There's their sort of basic training skill. They're an MD and they know a lot about cardiovascular medicine. There's their pharmaceutical skill. They've you know developed a bunch of drugs. They can run a program. They can write an NDA. Whatever. And then you know, are they smart? And are they going to get on with other people? Are they going to be a good part of the team? I think those are some of the things you look for when you're hiring. And do you suss out any of these things during the interview? Are the main things you suss out during the interview kind of? Are they smart and will they get along kind of thing? It's often, I've made some stunning mistakes in that regard. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, are they are they going to get along? Some wonderful mistakes. I hired a very senior person once and we fired him six weeks later and he, he convinced that. It's very, whatever people say and all these personality inventories and things, people are pretty good at duping the system, right? They can, they you know, they can come across completely different interview to, to, to you know, but it comes out in the wash pretty quickly. Um, but what you do know, generally speaking, is their, is their track record. If they've got a good track record and they've generally spent reasonable time in a, you, you can see up from the CV, if you spent three to five years in a job and you've moved up every three to five years and you've gone increasingly similar, senior roles with increasing senior responsibility, generally speaking, that's, that's, and then you get references and things like that. But it's always good also to get someone who someone you know knows. Yeah, someone you know knows, yeah, yeah. So let's step back even more now, going from corporate world to just life. In the past five years, do you think there is, if you had to name one belief, behavior, or habit, you think that's most improved your life, can you think of anyone? Belief, behavior, or habit, or anything, in the past five years, so recent history, that's most kind of improved your life. Is there anything? 
And this doesn't have to be job. This could be regular life. This could be finance. This could be health. This could be anything. That's a really tough question, right? I know. Um, Which is not most improved your life. No, no. Well, I think what's had a... You give me five years, Five years. years. I'm specifically something new that you've started doing or a new thought you've had or a new way you attack problems in the past five years. Well, I've I've had a trainer for the last five years who's made a huge effect. Really? Yeah, a huge effect on my life. He's made me... You know, I, a physical, I, personal trainer. Personal yeah. trainer, yeah. yeah. So, so not a not a not spiritual. A, yeah, trainer. yeah. So, so I know that sounds like that's not particularly deep, but you know, yeah. I don't have backache anymore. Yeah. I feel I can lift anything. Yeah. You know, I, there's no physical challenge that particularly I I sort of pull away from because for twenty five, even when you were tiny, yeah, your mum lifted you because I had a bad back, right? So, he's made a dramatic effect on my life in wow. that in that regard. Um, you know, what else? I, I think, you know, joining this company, it's, yeah. it's been great. I mean, it's just fun. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, that's been terrific. And, and it's helped, you know, there's a good life balance, uh, work-life balance. Um, you know, um, we, we're fortunate that we get to, I get to work sort of out of the northeast, not in the northeast, yes. in the wintertime. In warmer areas. In yes. warmer yeah. areas. So that's also good, right? That's a, that's a bit of privilege. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. respect that. So, you know. Um, that's great. But, you know, have I redesigned my life? No. I yeah. mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's been fun. And, and you know, um, since having a bit of financial freedom is always a good thing yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. And then final words, we're coming near the end here. If you had words for someone who was considering, or advice for someone considering leaving the career of clinical medicine, or maybe someone who is interested in working in the pharmaceutical field, or any closing words in general, in this general theme of kind of alternative careers in medicine, what would you say to them? I would say to them, do it for a positive reason. Not do it, don't do it to escape. Do it because you want to do something else. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, and I know what you mean. Yeah. Don't Because you get people who've been in clinical medicine for 20, 30 years and they get so fed up with it, they go, I'm going to do something else. Well, then it's too late. Mm-hmm. I'd also say don't wait around. You know, if it's not what you are passionate about, if you are really harboring... Because if you were in anything else, it's this, it's this big sort of stigma, right? If you do medicine, it's a vocation and you should never leave it. And I think I think you have to change that mindset a little bit. I said, I, for me, it was right. For me, it was it was a discipline, it was a science, but it wasn't a vocation. It was a job, um, and it was fascinating, and I enjoyed it enormously. But it didn't mean I couldn't do something else. So I, I think you have to, you know, you fight to become a doctor, and and there's this amazing, whatever the word is, about being one, right? But leaving it's like leaving other things. If you're a lawyer, you can become a corporate lawyer or not do law, right? Or if you're an accountant, you can leave it. And you can leave medicine and and um, and you shouldn't be frightened. I, I guess that's the bottom line. Don't be frightened about it. There is life after medicine. What a word to end on. What a thing to end on. Well, thank you so much, Dad. It was really, really, really great and really, really helpful, I think, to people who are considering maybe different careers in medicine, which I think is strangely a taboo topic, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's right. My pleasure.